So Todd said the word for today is review. Uh, our message title is Back to Basics. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, verse 14. Uh, first of all, I just want to say again, it's great to see all of you here today. Um, I know this is the last hurrah before life really gets going, before you have to hit the books uh, officially. And uh, But you know what's, what's going to happen tomorrow or Tuesday is the same thing that's been happening in the last couple weeks. And it's probably happening all over the world. Uh, kids are starting to go back to school, whether it's online or whether it's in person, they are going back to school. And I think it's safe to say that everywhere kids are going back to school, they're starting with the same thing. They're starting with review. They're starting with, uh, to catch review with what they learned last year to catch them up to speed uh, for what they're going to build on this year. And I think about the A students. Uh, you, you go back to school and you do this review time and it's really uh, not that big a deal. It's just going through the motion. Yes, I already know this. And so uh, it's just something that I had to put up with. Uh, that is not me. I was not that student who went to school and said, yes, I already know all this. Uh, there's the B students who, this is kind of like a refresher course. You go back to school and you start going over the things that you finished off last year. And there's a few aha moments, a few things that if I just tweak a little bit, I say I get the whole thing again. And then there's the C and below students, which would be me. Okay, so what, was, what are we learning this year? Do, are you sure we already learned this in the past? Because it's not making a lot of sense. I know I am in trouble moving forward because of what I, in the past, I do not remember. Uh, you know, and you find that review is good in every area of life. Noah started piano this week, and I was up in my office, and I was listening to Noah play. Guess what Noah was playing? Review. He was playing songs that he already knew how to play. He was doing the chopsticks. He was doing simple songs just to review that his fingers still work. These are the notes uh, to build upon. And as, as he goes throughout the year, it's going to get tougher. Every area of life, you kind of start with review. When you go back to spring training in baseball, you work on the fundamentals. You win football season, you start with doing all the stuff that you've always known how to do, and you review. Today's message is kind of the same thing. First uh, John 4.14 is a review of one of the most basic foundational things that we have as Christians that we, to we, that we build our lives upon. Um, it's so basic that in Awana, uh, the kindergartners, it's one of the first verses that they learn, if not the very first verse. But then the next two years after that, they go back to that as a foundational verse to say, oh yeah, I remember that. And that's what our Christian faith is built upon is 1 John 4.14. Uh, normally I look at a bigger passage and say, how does this kind of tie into all of this? Uh, but this verse, there's just so much that I felt like God said, hey, share this, that I felt like, you know what, if I try to do all that and say how this fits into more, it's going to be overwhelming and everybody's going to miss the point because it's going to drag on and on. So I thought today I'm just going to look at this foundational verse, this back to basics, and then next week we'll highlight it a little bit as we see how it fits in with more of the passage uh, in that first John. So we're going to be spending the bulk of our time in 1 John 4.14, which says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And it is on the back of your bulletin. If you, if you say, I don't want to get my Bible out, but I got a bulletin, there you go. That's where the bulk of where we're going to be is 1 John 4.14. Uh, I would like to pray again.
Father God, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for this verse that is so important, that is so foundational, that is so life-changing. And God, I just pray that you'd help us today to better understand what does it mean that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world? And what is it that we need to do based off of what that verse says? God, I just want you to speak through me. I just want to be your mouthpiece and that you would speak to us each as we need it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing that we see is basic number one. Uh, I told Nicole this morning that I have one, I made one PowerPoint you know, like the last couple of weeks, I've struggled with what one I'm actually doing. I've only made one, so if it's wrong, it's all on me. I can't blame Noah anymore for picking the wrong one. Okay, so that out of the way. Basic number one, Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. First John 4, 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So the first part of this verse that's even highlighted, the Father has sent the Son... You know, when, when, you, when I first read that verse, if, I was, if you were to just write it on a piece of paper and hand it to me, I guarantee you I would take this verse wrong. I wouldn't take it the way that John intended for this to be taken. Because when I look at that verse, it looks to me like some dad is telling his kid to go do something. As if I was dad saying, hey, Caleb, I want you to go get me a drink of water. Hey, Noah, I want you to go next door and get me a book. It just looks like some dad telling his son to go do something. In this case, it's the father telling his son, Hey, Jesus, why don't you go save the world? Okay, this kind of sounds like, like there's two separate, completely different people, father-son relationship, just like humans. But when you read this verse, 1 John 4, 14, and verses like John 3, 16, this is for God so loved the, the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. That father-son relationship is not the same as my relationship with my son. Because I had some part in the, the procreation, some part in the creation of Noah. Whereas when you have God, the father, and, and the son, that never took place. But the, the outside world likes to say that that is what really happened. And they will even use scripture in order to show that God the Father got together with some God the Mother and birthed Jesus. Uh, one of those verses that they will look at is Colossians 1.15. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now when you look at that verse, what do you think? Honestly, don't you think it looks like firstborn? Jesus was actually born, and he's the first one. Noah is my firstborn son. He's the first kid that Leslie and I had. That's how it looks, and so that's how they take it. But there's a little bit more to this. Uh, birth in a family, the firstborn can mean two different things. First is uh, the birth order in a family. So Noah is my firstborn son. He was born first. I can't argue it. You look at the baby pictures. He's bigger. He's older. He was the firstborn son. But it also can mean the special status given to someone, giving that person first place among other contenders, among other people. So if I was to base this off of Noah and Caleb, I could say, Noah, you're my firstborn son because you were born first, but Caleb... You're my firstborn son because you, I'm giving you special attention and a special status even though you're not listening right now. I can say, Caleb, you're more important to me than Noah is and give you that kind of position. And that's when, in order to determine 
who or which which one this is, you have to go with what does scripture, what is it saying? Because in Luke 2, verse 33, you find out that Jesus is kind of like the firstborn of Mary and Joseph. You know, it's the first in line, uh, physically speaking. But when you look at uh, the rest of Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, you find that this isn't a birth order. This is a status position that Jesus has. It says, For by him all things were created. Uh, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, Jesus has that status. All things were created by him and for him. Uh, he is before all things. Not that he was just first, but he is uh, better than all these things. In him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, that he might have first place. You know, Jesus was not the firstborn from the dead. You know, I was reading in Second uh, Kings yesterday. Uh, we have our deacon meeting tomorrow, and we read through Second Kings. We're just kind of going through a section at a time. And it, there's this part where uh, there's these, these, these people want to bury some guy that they, they love, this family member. And there's a band of raiders that come. And they, what do these people do? Because they're afraid. They say, there's an empty tomb. Let's take him. Goodbye. And that body hits the body of Elisha or his bones, and that guy comes back to life. It's, it was prophesied, it was predicted, it, was, it, it happened. Jesus was not the firstborn, but in status-wise, he was the most important. He was first place. Uh, John three sixteen, another verse that we all know, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. It sounds like, biologically, I have one Son, and that's what I'm given. Uh, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, begotten uh, is unique or one of a kind. Jesus was uniquely God's son because he had the same nature as God. My son Noah and I, we had the same human nature. Jesus and God had the same God nature, but it was not the fact that God got together with some God mother and created Jesus. The Bible tells us there is only one God. Uh, Here's a couple references. Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Psalms 86.10. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Isaiah 43.10 says, Before me there was no God formed, and after me there's not going to be any other gods. How many gods are there? There's only one God. And people can't wrap their mind around this. And there's lots of... I'm gonna, look at a few false views that people have about how can I have one God and three? How does that even make sense? Uh, here's one view that's not correct. It's called tritheism, where there are three different gods as if you have the three musketeers. You know, me, Noah, and Caleb, here's God the Father, completely different from God the Son, completely different. We all are separate and somehow we work together or combine to be one God. That's not correct. Uh, there's this view called modalism. Sometimes God acts like the Father. Sometimes God acts like the Son. And some sometimes God acts like the Holy Spirit, depending on the situation. So Jesus is really praying to himself. Because Jesus is acting like himself as the Son, then it quickly gets up to heaven, and then Jesus is God up in heaven, so he's praying to himself. That's not right. <laughs> That's a view that people think, because they don't understand. Or another another one is that Jesus is three different, or God is three different parts. You have to have a, a third of God is Jesus, a third of God is the Holy Spirit, and a third of God is God the Father. You just have to put them all together, and now you have one God. 
That is not right. That is not the, the way that the Bible teaches it. Uh, the right way is you have it on the back of your bulletin. Everybody should have one. There's plenty. <laughs> there's plenty of bulletins for everybody. I dropped mine and it disappeared. Uh, you have this view up here and it explains the Trinity. This is the best picture that you can actually have. It says the Father is God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. And we're going to look at the verses that help us to understand that. But you find that the Father is not the Son. They are not the same. The Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. There is one God, all separate, uh, but separate people, uh, which is kind of hard to understand, because we're not talking about people like the three musketeers, but they all have distinct centers of intellectual, of emotion, and of will. And they are God. There is one God. How do we get this? Because this is all a big deal. It's kind of confusing. Well, first of all, you find that the Father is God. And it's, it's throughout Scripture. Uh, but here's just a verse that I picked. It says in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty clear, pretty obvious. God is the Father. The second one is Jesus is God. Uh, in 1 John 5.20, it says, we, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Jesus is God. If you want some more, Acts, or, uh, John chapter 1, verse 1, 14, and 18. You put that together, you find out that Jesus is God. And there's numerous other ones if you want them to, to, for proof, to, to prove to somebody that Jesus is, in fact, God. The third part of the Trinity is that the Holy Spirit is God. I think you guys are familiar with the Bible in Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, somebody had brought land, or they had sold their land, and they brought their money, and they had given it to the disciples to use. And Ananias and Sapphira said, you know what? That guy got a lot of attention. That guy looks like everybody likes him because he did this. Let's do the same thing. Except for we're not going to give all our money. We'll just tell everybody. Because nobody knows how much we sold our land for. And so they said, you know what? Uh, disciples, here's all the money we got for, our, uh, for selling our land. And the, the, the disciple knew that wasn't true. He says, uh, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you decided you were going to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then at the end of verse 4, it says, you have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. Thus saying that the Holy Spirit is God. We saw the Father is God, Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Um, you know, and, and when you, uh, I'd like to back up here for just a second. You know, Jesus, when he was, uh, when Jesus was walking here on earth, uh, in John chapter 10, uh, the, all the Pharisees, all the people knew that Jesus himself was claiming to be God. Uh, because in verse, uh, John chapter 10, verse 31, it says, Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father, which uh, for which of these do you stone me? He says, we are, not, we are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus, by claiming that he was the Son of God, was in fact claiming to be God, and that's what all the Jews recognized. So we can say, I don't get it. I don't know if those verses really say that, but the people of that day understood that Jesus was claiming to be God. 
And I know that's, that's it's a hard thing to grasp. It's a hard thing to fully understand. All we know is that the triune God, the three, the three had one essence or one in nature, uh, but they were three distinct persons of the Trinity with their own distinct centers of intellect, emotion, and will. But you see right there, there is only one God. Jesus came... Uh, John chapter 10, verse 17 to 18, we find out that, you know, the Father sent the Son when we, when we read 1 John chapter 4, 14. But this isn't like Dad saying, hey, Noah, go out and take out the garbage. I know you don't want to, but this is what you need to do instead. This was something that Jesus was willing to do on his own. It says, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to, lay, uh, to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. Jesus came to this earth to be the savior of the world, but on his own, he was willing to do this. It wasn't something where dad says, you know what, Caleb, you have to do this anyway. Jesus says, I want to do this for this, the sake of all the people of the world. Jesus came to be the savior, to be the author of salvation, to be the way, the, uh, the, way, the truth, and the life, the option that we even have for salvation. And when Jesus came to this earth, he didn't come on a suicide mission. He didn't say it was that way as if some, somebody's coming to attack me and there's bullets flying and I'm going to step right in front of my wife and protect her. And then, oops, I died, but she got to live. Because if Jesus would have done that, Jesus would have just been a dead hero. If Jesus didn't rise again, then we would not have faith. We would have nothing to put our hope in. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4 says, For what I received... Uh, I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. Verse 17 says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are dead in your sins. If Jesus was just a dead hero, that's all he is. It's just a temporary dead hero. I am still lost in my sins and I still need a savior. And Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, God wasn't willing that any should perish, or God's patient. He doesn't want anybody to perish, but all to come to repentance, for all to come to eternal life. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, it says, He is the atoning sacrifice, not for our sins alone, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus doesn't want anybody to perish. Jesus says, I'm going to pay for everybody's sins, no matter who they are. And John 3.16 says, if you uh, ask Jesus, for God's love of the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus came, sent from the Father to give eternal life. That's basic number one, is that Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. Basic number two is that you need the Savior of the world. 1 John 5, 12 says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. People try all sorts of ways to get to heaven. People are relying on all sorts of things to get them to heaven. But if they do not have the Son, they do not have life. And why do we need a Savior? Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. Why? Uh, Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned. This is going back to something that I, I have this kind of paraphrase like the Awana kids worked on last year. Uh, Romans 3.23, 
all have sinned. We have lied. We have lusted. We have stolen. We have cheated. We have thought hateful thoughts towards people. We have done something that goes against God's law. And Romans 6.23 says, Because we sin, we cannot get to heaven. On my own, I can't be good enough. I've already screwed up enough uh, one time. And God says, that's enough. You can't make it. Uh, but Romans 5.8, God loves you and didn't want you to go to hell. He wanted you to go to heaven, so he took your punishment for you. Uh, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10.9 says, if you want Jesus to save you from the punishment of your sins, you need to ask him to save you, and he will give you eternal life. And Romans 10.17 now that you have, it says now uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How do you think people are going to know the gospel unless somebody opens up their mouth and shares it with them? We need to make sure that we are reading God's word, that we are obeying it, that we are putting it into practice so that we can share it. Jesus came to be the savior of the world. That's basic number one. In Sunday school, we, we made a list of all the basic things we could think of that a Christian needs to do. They need to pray. They need to go to church. They need to have a ministry. Uh, they need to make sure that they're reading their Bible, that they are um, telling other people about Jesus. Basic is you got it. Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. Basic number two is you need Jesus as the Savior of the world. And I hope you have those two down. I hope that's so basic you're like the A student that says, Yes, Josh, I know you're telling me nothing new. That's what I'm hoping for. A students that say, I've already got the picture, Josh. Basic number three is that we need to proclaim Jesus as the Savior of the world. 1 John 4, 14 says, We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. John he was proclaiming Jesus as the Savior of the world. Do you guys know how John's life started? Did you know that uh, when Jesus started his ministry, he chose 12 disciples? And when he went looking, he didn't go looking in a Sunday school class. He didn't go looking at preacher's kids who had been stuck in church their whole life. He didn't go look to the seminary and say, who's the brightest person that knows the most, that's getting the highest grades, that's got the most potential? He says, you know what? I'm walking down the street here. And look, there's a couple fishermen. I think I'm going to choose those guys. John was a fisherman. He got out there in the boat in the dark with his nets, and he let it down in the water, and he picked it back up. How hard is that? I mean, you've got to be strong. You've got to have a net and a boat and things like that. But, you know, I don't think that's probably all that difficult to do. And Jesus says, I want that guy to be my disciple. And then John wrote about his observations. He says, we have seen and testify. What did he see is what he's writing about. So what did John observe? He observed miracles. He saw Jesus do miracles. He saw lives changed. He heard Jesus' teachings. He saw Jesus die on a cross. He talked to Jesus when he rose again. And then what is John proclaiming? What is he testifying about? 1 John chapter 1 uh, Verses 1 through 3 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. John says, We have heard these things that Jesus said. We have seen it with our eyes. We have looked and we have touched Jesus. And we're proclaiming to you the eternal life. He has appeared to us. We have seen it testify to it. And we're proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and with the Son. He says, This is what I have experienced. This is what I have heard. This is what I know. This is what I'm trying to get out to the people. John chapter 20, verse 31. This is 
I think that the place where most preachers start when they're going to preach through the book of John, they don't start with John 1.1. And if I was to pick John instead of Luke when I started, I would have went to this verse. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why he wrote the book. He's proclaiming to you what he saw, what he heard, uh, what he witnessed. And that's why he wrote that, so that people could see the miracles or they could know these miracles and then they could put their faith in Jesus and have eternal life. I have my own experience. I have my own life that I have lived uh, with Jesus. You know, my beginning, uh, this is probably not going to be a shock to a lot of people. I think I've said it enough times. I grew up as a preacher's kid. I was in church every single week. And when I was homesick, I still didn't get a break. I had to listen to some sermon on the radio. That's what I grew up doing. I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in the loser Seahawks. That's what I was interested in. I was interested in anything else except for sitting in the front row or couple front rows of church, uh, and that's what I was. I wasn't interested in church. I wasn't uh, a straight-A student in Sunday school. I mean, I was always there, but I wasn't always present, right? That's what I started out as, nothing that says, boy, this guy's going to be an overachiever. This guy is like the C and below student that you're just lucky he's there even though he's the preacher's kid. That was me. My observations, well, what, what have I seen about Jesus? Well, obviously, I haven't seen Jesus. Jesus didn't come walking by and say, Hey, Josh, my name is Jesus, and I'd like to introduce myself to you and tell you about what I've done. I have the same kind of observations that you have. I have, what do I read in Scripture? That's what I observe. Uh, what have I experienced? What has Jesus done for me? I grew up as the world's biggest warrior wart uh, until I got older because I started to recognize, you know what, God really is in control. That verse, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Bing, 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 life-changing to me to where I was like, all of a sudden, I didn't have to worry about everything anymore because whatever I was going through, God had a purpose for it. So I can observe what has God done in my life? What has God done in other people's lives? What have I read in Scripture? That's what I have observed. And then I have my testimony. What, I, what can I proclaim? What can I tell people? What can I tell them? All I can tell them is, this is what Jesus did for me. This is what the Bible says that Jesus did for you. I can't say, why don't we go to the park and Jesus will be waiting there. I can proclaim, this is what the, the Bible says. That's all that God has given me. So that's all God is expecting me to use. He's not expecting anything me to do anything that he didn't give me the ability to do in the first place. And where can I proclaim this? Well, the easiest place in the whole wide world to proclaim it is where? Church. <laughs> the easiest place, even up here, it's easy to proclaim who Jesus is, what Jesus taught, everything about Jesus. Uh, in Awana, in Sunday school, in VBS, people are coming to you to hear the message of Jesus. I told Jennifer when we were passing out Awana flyers, I said, I'm scared to do this. It's a simple flyer. It, it says, Awana, here's a barbecue. I've got to walk out of my comfort zone and go give this to a kid. Even kids that I know, I'm, it's awkward to me. It's scary to me. This is a whole lot more natural. But I've got to proclaim the Word of God. Uh, you can do it around your table. You, everybody has family. 
Everybody has friends. Everybody has neighbors. Invite them over. You don't have to sit there and give them a great big lecture about who Jesus is, but you can work it into the conversation. When you're out and about, uh, and I'll include what Leslie does a lot of, and that's online. And she gets on these feeds and she's writing with all sorts of people and she's always like, here's the gospel. Here's the gospel. Here's the gospel. You can do it there. You can do it at the grocery store. You can do it at the workplace. You can do it at the park. Um, you are called to proclaim what you know about Jesus. How many people are afraid to do that? I'll tell you, me too. I'm afraid to do that too, to just walk up to somebody and start trying to do that. But you know what? We don't have to be afraid. God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. He's not calling us to be afraid. If I don't want to be afraid to do something, what do I need to do? I need to pray. I also need to be prepared. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You say you have hope in Jesus for salvation. Why? Why do you have that hope? Is it just because, well, it's better than nothing else? Or is it based off of what Scripture says? You have a reason for hope. You, you, that's all you need to, to start with is what do I know about Jesus? And even if you say, you know what, I'm afraid to like speak this, underline it and go like this. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. Just have it so you can give it to somebody. Let God's word speak for itself. You don't have to be afraid. And I know we are because I'm not going to know all the answers. I don't know all the answers either. I keep reading this thing. I keep studying it. Nothing, I mean, a lot stays up here, but not everything does. So I keep going over it and keep going over it. And you're going to find yourself without having all the answers. But all you have to say is, you know what? I don't have that answer. Let me go see if I can find it. That person will respect you to admit you don't have the answers. Then come talk to me. Uh, go talk to your spouse. Go talk to your friends who you feel like might be able to help you. Go pray about it. Go read what the scripture says. But be prepared in order to be confident to share God's faith with people. The, 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 opportunities, the opportunities will be there. I just want to encourage you to make sure you're pre that you are prepared because we are all called to testify. John's just a normal guy fishing. And now he's an apostle. I was just a normal kid who didn't like church. And now I'm preaching. You're just a normal person doing whatever you were doing. But you still are gifted and called by God to open your mouth and share Jesus with other people. And when you do, you know, there's a lot that you can expect to happen. You know, one thing you can expect to happen is that, and this might be the biggest shock of your life, somebody could get saved. You share Jesus with somebody, and I have been surprised myself um, when, uh, when kids have said, I want to know Jesus as my Savior. It just totally blew my mind away. I, I give the message so many times. Nothing ever happens so much, so much of the time that I'm like, I'm blown away when a kid says, I want to do that. Or an adult. Um, I'll tell you about one time in my life that was, I could, I could kick myself. I wish if I could go back in my life and do one thing all over again, this is what I would do. I was at uh, something called a turkey shoot. Anybody know what that is? A turkey shoot? I had no idea. <laughs> I was like, I was asked to speak at this. I'm like, are we shooting turkeys? Um, or is there a turkey target? What is the deal about this? And it, what, it, what a turkey shoot is, is you, you shoot for turkeys. You shoot, you get these, yeah, you're shooting guns, and I am not, a, I have no aim whatsoever. And then you get prizes, but they wanted me to speak at this turkey shoot. 
And I spoke and I talked about, well, you know what? I don't know what a turkey shoot is. I, I don't even know what we're going to do next. Maybe you're like, the, you don't know what the gospel is. And I said, here, let me just give you the gospel. And then I, I said, and, it, and there wasn't very many people. There was less, there's like that many people. And I knew there were people there that I didn't know. And I said, do you, if you would like to pray this prayer, pray with me. And then I just dropped it. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. I was like 28 years old and I was scared to death that if I, and there was one guy I know, I know was raising his hand. I mean, knew, one guy I knew that I could have went and talked to this guy and had a conversation with. I could have better explained that gospel, but I was scared to death because I wasn't as prepared as I should have been because I wasn't trusting God to help me. And I think about this guy all the time and I pray for him that he really did get saved because I was afraid when I did not have to be. I didn't have to have all the answers at that point, but I needed to talk to him and I didn't do it. People will get saved if you share the gospel with them. But you know that you're, you're going to be rejected. You're going to get persecuted. People are not going to like you if you try sharing the gospel with them. Because nobody wants to hear that they're a sinner. Nobody wants to hear that because you're, you're so bad you can't get to heaven. But that's the truth. I'm a sinner. Because I've sinned, I can't get to heaven. And so Jesus says, I'm going to make that way for you to get there. So you're going to have people get saved. You're going to have people who reject you. But whatever it is, whatever the case may be, the results are not up to you. All you got to do is open that sweet little mouth that you have and tell somebody. And God's going to reward you for the part that you do. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it, uh, Paul's using this analogy of planting and sowing and reaping. And it says in verse 8, The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be re rewarded according to their labor. You, you start the conversation and you share something about Jesus with somebody. You get to be the person who finally gets to lead them to the Lord. It doesn't matter. It's not you that's doing it. God is the one who has to make it happen. So if nobody gets saved and you did your part, that's okay. All you have to remember, the third thing to remember is that God's just going to reward you for doing your part. You know, school has just begun. Uh, you know, I think we've been in school for two weeks. I heard that in Georgia back in the start of August, it started. Uh, my, I have two nephews and a niece that start on Tuesday. That's their first day of school. Whatever point they started, they all started with the same point, with review, with whatever it is that they thought they should already know. I was going to ask Caleb about the same thing. Did you go to college and start with something brand new that first day? Because that didn't sound like it. It sounded like it was easy because he already knew what he was doing. I think everywhere you go, when you go back from not having done it for a long time, they start with something you already know. It's a refresher course. Uh, it's a good reminder. Or for some, it's a brand new lesson because they didn't remember or they hadn't heard it before. You have just been, you've just reviewed some of the basic things in life. Jesus loves you, and he came to be the Savior of the world. Basic number two is you need Jesus as your Savior. And basic number three is you need to get out there, and you need to share Jesus with other people. So I want you to leave, I don't want you to leave this today like, okay, yep, that's a nice message. Yep, okay, now I can just go out and do whatever I want. I want you to leave today full of faith. That yes, I have trusted Jesus as my Savior. Yes, I'm going to try to get out there and prepare myself in some sort of way. Whatever I don't know, prepare myself so that I can get out there and share my faith with other people. 
Be determined when you leave here that I'm going to do whatever it takes to be ready to share the gospel. Don't, don't expect to do it on your own. Again, like we, I mentioned a little bit last week, is make sure that you are relying on God's help because he's the one who prepares that person that you are going to talk to. He's the person who's going to make sure that soil is ready when you talk to him, and he's ultimately the one that's going to save them. So those are the basics. Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. You need Jesus as your Savior. And three, you need to get out there and share Jesus with other people. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, again, I just thank you for your patience, that you are so good and you're so kind. God, we all should know this very clearly in our minds. God, we should all be sharing this more than we do. Uh, and I just pray, God, for your forgiveness for not. I pray for the ability to be prepared so that when we have opportunity to speak on your behalf that we do. And I pray that the people we talk to would come to know you as our Savior. And God, for anybody in here who's going to try to get better prepared to share your gospel, I just pray that they, you would cement it in their minds so that they are ready. And help them to be able to find the passages to go to and, and talk, uh, look through to help them be ready as well. Again, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace. And I pray that you bless the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen.